today is Pentecost Sunday. The Christian calendar uh, reminds us today of something very powerful that happens and happened in the life of the church. That happened and should be happening in our lives regularly. And so I've got a very long passage of scripture. And so what we're going to do to concentrate is we're going to stand. I know some churches that stand every time the Lord's word is preached. So we're going to stand and we're going to go through a very lovely and long passage of scripture. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 11 and then 2 verse 1 all the way through to 37. Let's stand together. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, that's Jesus, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is up to chapter 2 now. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and gathered the whole, uh, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd gathered together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not, are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Move up to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories that have been recorded for our good and for your glory. Today, as we look at this story, I pray that you would animate it with your life and with your power so that our stories, which we don't know all the details of each person's story, would be infused with your story. And so that we leave these doors aware of your story infusing into our lives such that we are people who live off of your grace and live off of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. So it's an interesting passage of scripture. It's called Pentecost. The Jewish people were celebrating something uh, that they had celebrated for millennia. They'd been celebrating the giving of the law, and they were together on this day of Pentecost, but they had been told by Jesus, wait in Jerusalem, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what the gift of the Holy Spirit exactly would look like. They didn't know what to expect. And so they're on this day of Pentecost in a room, and they're waiting for the gift that Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit. And it's this incredible encounter where these people who are gathered experience what can only be described as God presencing himself with his people. That's really what's going on in this story. And God shows his love for these people, and he pours out his grace, as the New Testament says, in their hearts, in an experience. And then it continues, and it says that even people from all different parts of the world were getting blessed by it because they were speaking in tongues that made sense to all kinds of different people. It was, it was hard to explain. And, and we should never try to create a Christian faith that's easy to explain, because that wouldn't be God, Right? Imagine you could explain the creator of the world in a couple of sentences. It's not meant to be that way. Knowing God is about knowing one who's bigger than us, who's beyond us, who's difficult to understand, and yet knowing some of the fundamental essence of him is really crucial. And what we believe about the Bible is that we know enough about God to live with him, to live for him, and to understand the world he's put us in. And, And what's going on here is something radical for you and I. Let me change the topic for a bit. I don't know uh, if you remember your first day going to uh, primary school or preschool even. It was the day you were introduced to your CPI. Those of you that are finance people have jumped and gone, no, no, you, you're talking about a, a consumer price index, Rog. That that's, can't work in church. No, I'm not talking about the consumer price index. I'm talking about your chosen projected image. I don't know if you remember the first day you walked into school, and maybe all you had ever heard were loving words from your mommy or your daddy, and you arrive into school, and suddenly you realize that kids aren't always kind, and life isn't always easy, and and things feel vulnerable, and and, and you, you feel like somehow you've got to get accepted by this crew, by this interesting group of people, and so you maybe tell a lie. Or you do something to try and impress someone. And you're introduced for the first time into this thing called a chosen projected image. You're putting forward of somebody that you want people to see of you so that they say of you, you're cool. You're in. 
Welcome to the crew. Welcome to the club. And basically, for the last however long we've been alive, we have been refining our chosen projected image. That's what humans do. We want to be accepted. And some of you go, you know what? I don't care about what people think about me. That becomes your chosen projected image. No matter what, we're always creating an image that says, hey, I want some response from people. I always have an image. And what's happening on the day of Pentecost and what's happening in the love of God is that he comes to try to dismantle your and my chosen projected image. That thing that we create to somehow get acceptable and it gets kind of broken down. And God comes in his love to show us that that image isn't what he cares about. It's who we really are. And he starts to dismantle that one and he starts to remantle to recreate, to build up the real us. And man, it's a long journey. And I know it for myself that this journey of kind of finding out who I really am compared to the person I've tried to be or impress people with is a journey that takes a long time. But that's what our journey is when we talk about human beings versus human doings is finding out who does God say we are? How do we move into the world with confidence and humility and joy because we know who we are? We know whose we are. Well, the day of Pentecost was a deeply significant day for you and I, for the church, for humanity to be able to breathe out and let God show us who we are to come in and show us exactly who we are. And so I want to look at the Pentecost experience through the lens of our journey of identity and try to let God minister this beautiful thing to us. And, and to understand who you are as a follower of Jesus is to do a little bit of time travel, actually. It's to actually allow God to show you what the future age to come says about where you're headed. Because actually where you're headed is actually who you are. Remember the diagram I spoke to us about last week? The, the, these three lovely aspects of your identity. Uh, bottom uh, right-hand side, I have to be a right-handed preacher today. Uh, you're, you're a child. You're a child. You're, you're a son or a daughter of God. You have been brought in relationally to, to a, a father-child relationship. That's who you are. More fundamentally than uh, your sexual orientation. More fundamental than how well or badly you've done in your career. More fundamental than whether you're a mom or a dad or not. You are a child of God if you've put your faith in Jesus. That is, if you slip down the middle to the core of who you are, you're a child. Not only that, if you get into the depth of who you are, you're also seated with Jesus. You're seated in heavenly places with Jesus, says Ephesians. We're told that our primary authority comes because we have been put into a beautiful place of being close to God in the holy of holies. We've got confidence to be with God, to know his presence. Why? Because Jesus did what we could never do. He died on the cross. He forgave us of our sins. And when he did that, the temple curtain was torn in two, and we received an identity that not only are we sons, but we're also seated in heavenly places. I know it's a big thing, but that is our future identity brought into our present world. That, that's, that's the facts of who you are. And not only that, Jesus says, we're servants. Because we're sons, because we're seated, we're also called to serve the world with this mission. Because we live in a very complex world. We live in the present age, which is broken and beautiful all at the same time. It's filled with all kinds of lovely blessings and all kinds of very tragic, broken realities. 
and the age to come has overlapped our age. And now we live in the overlap of the ages. God has already come in Jesus, and we live in this very peculiar time between the ends of my fingers where the ages are overlapping and we see brokenness and corruption and beauty and the new kingdom breaking in. It's a very interesting world, but your identity as a Christian has been given to you, and it will be that forever. And Pentecost is your introduction to that becoming an experience. It's your gift from God where he gives you the Holy Spirit and he says, you know what? It doesn't just need to be a theory. It can be reality. Imagine a fish. Have a look at this. Now, I know goldfish don't live in tidal pools, but just work with me for a moment. You're a little fish, and you're living in a tidal pool. And, and by the way, that's a pretty little tidal pool. Lovely little sea anemones. There's probably a starfish or two. And that is a lovely world to live in if you're a small little fish, and it is your world. You love your anemones. You love your shells. You don't mind the odd knick-knack packet actually coming in. It's, it's part of what it means to live in a tidal pool, and, and you enjoy it. It's a bit like life on earth. We live in this world and we kind of go, it's really pretty and it's really sweet and we can make it work. But imagine just for a moment, the tide starts to rise and this little fish who thinks this is the size of his world suddenly realizes that there is more out there. Look at the next slide. His eyes begin to Pop, when he realizes that just over the edge of this tidal pool is a magnificent deep blue ocean filled with adventure and beauty he never knew imagined. Pentecost is the reminder, is the bringing together of our tidal pool little world that we live in with the future age to come and giving us a glimpse of that and saying, this is you. This is where your home is. This is a picture. And so, yes, the tide comes up in Pentecost, and the analogy can't go too far because you're going to go, can I just swim over there and stay there? We live in the tidal pool. But Pentecost was the bringing together of that life. Imagine those tidal pools never had the life flooding over. Have you ever been in a tidal pool that's been in low tide for a long time? And it starts to stink, and it starts to get a bit gunky, and it starts to get too many knick-knack packets in it. And then suddenly the tide comes up and new life washes in. On the day of Pentecost, when these people are seated in a room, it was God saying, the age to come, that beautiful ocean of life that is our future age, has begun to break into the present. That's what happened. In Jesus' life and, and, and death, he broke the powers of sin in his um, In his resurrection, we got proof that there is a new life and a new body that's given us. He's the first fruits of that. And in his ascension and in Pentecost, the age to come gets brought into our age. I heard someone recently say that on the ascension day, Jesus started working from home. (laughs) Starting to keep going, it's coming. It's like moving up the audience as the sound gets there. But in Pentecost, Jesus outsourced his work to us. He sent the work he was doing and the power of his presence into us as believers. The age to come started to invade the lives of people so that we could be representatives of the work of Jesus and the future age to come. 
It's a wonderful thought. And so what happens, these guys suddenly get a, a taste of heaven coming into their lives, a taste of the presence and the, the wonder of God. It was almost like Jesus was handing over the baton of his work. You, if you look closely at Luke's account of Pentecost, you see it's very similar to the account of 2 Kings chapter 2, where Elijah hands over his mantle to Elisha. Notice the fire that comes down in that story. Notice that he leaves his coat behind and he gives it to Elisha. Much the same, Jesus ascends, tongues of fire come down, and the Bible often describes the Holy Spirit as a coat that's given, a new mantle, a new anointing to the believers to go and do what Jesus has been doing. It's, it should ignite your sense of God at work in the world. You see, if we had finished our talk last week, what you would have felt is, I know about my identity. I know about God. I know that I'm seated. Wow, that's cool. I know that I'm a child. Oh, that's incredible. Son of God. Yo, love it. I know that I'm a servant. Amazing. But it's a bit like, to change metaphors, it's a bit like J.I. Packer reminds us. He says, it's a bit like you, you've got two people on a mountain. You've got these people who live in, in these houses on a mountain, and, and you've got these hikers who walk past the people. And, and it's like two completely different experiences. The person who's living on the mountain goes, oh, yeah, I know about that waterfall you told me about. Yeah, oh, you saw that lovely view down over the, the canyon. Oh, nice, eh? It's incredible. But you look at the hiker, and the hiker has still got water in his eyes from the cold breeze that came over the last pre uh, precipice that he climbed. And he says, the water is still in my boots. I can still feel it. It's icy, but it is invigorating because I saw that canyon. And I had to uh, kind of climb down and over some roots and held on. And I felt like I was right on the edge, but I felt alive. God lives on the mountain and goes, oh, it's cool there. Eh? I, know, I know that view. It's a bit like having a relationship with God where you know God versus the person who lives on the mountain who knows about God. There's nothing more in my life that I want to do than build a community of people who know God. And there's nothing more concerning in my life than to build a community of people who know about God. Because knowing about God It's like we just get to stand there and be either sort of theological snobs who sort of think we know the Bible or people who just miss out on being in the adventure of following Jesus. And Pentecost was our invitation to say, don't settle for knowing about God. You can actually know him. You can walk with him. You can hike up into some glorious vistas and you can be part of the adventure of being with him. And so what we're going to do today, just in a couple of ways, is we're going to see that our identity can be knowing God, can be walking with Him, pretty much through the same three lenses we looked at last week. And we're going to see that we can know God by, uh, by the outpoured Spirit through presence, formation, and mission. We can be with Jesus, we can become like Jesus, and we can love like Jesus. First one is this, is that on Pentecost, we discover that we can actually be with Jesus. We don't need to just know about him. We can walk with him because of his spirit that he gives us. Jesus said this, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible teaches this in so many beautiful ways. Many, many sort of uh, theologians who want to just talk about God will talk about all the different theories about the infilling and the indwelling. Let me suggest to you the basics of it. 
If you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that God, by his Holy Spirit, comes to dwell with you. He, he, he comes and he lives in your heart. It's a beautiful fact. He comes to live in you. And that becomes a deposit. And most people who put their faith in Jesus experience that in some way or another. Normally, it's just deep elation. It's a sense of euphoria. I am loved. I'm cared for. Wow. But you know that it carries on talking about the fact that we should be filled with the Spirit. There's so many passages in Scripture. We look at the next one. I think it's up here. Ephesians 5 verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the best way to interpret that text is to is say, it actually is saying it's a present continuous. You should be, be being filled with the Spirit. It's a continuous walking in one's life saying, I want to continue to be with you, God. I want to continue to know what it's like to be close to you, to be in your presence, to, to walk in the kind of way that I know you're near because you are. It's a lovely encouragement that we are those who, as followers of Jesus, are growing in an awareness that God is with us, that he has the age to come, which is a beautiful, blissful experience of his ever presence, is actually invading my present now, that I can be being filled with the Spirit. I can be being aware of his ever with me-ness, if that's a sentence. How are you doing it, learning to be being filled with the Spirit? How's it going when it comes to just living your life in terms of taking it at the pace of Jesus and saying, Jesus, would you fill me? I got to pray with Jess right now. She's had one heck of a week. And I said, Jess, yeah, I know you're going to be with kids. And she said, the, the group have been so encouraging to me. And, and, and the teams have just been so good. And I said, but can I just pray for you that God would give you his grace and his strength? And she just put her hands out and said, yes, please pray for me. We've got to pray that the presence of God would be with her. It's, a, it's an ongoing awareness that God just wants to be near. We, it's a task of every believer to keep uh, reminding each other and to keep encouraging each other to be filled with the Spirit, to keep asking God to fill us. You see, there's the in, indwelling, He comes to live with you, but there's the ongoing expectation of the infilling. My other buddy uh, reminds me of it like this. He says, you get uh, indwelt by the Spirit, but then you, almost it's like God holds your hand forever. That grip, John chapter 10, those the Father has given me, I won't let anyone snatch them out of my hand. You walk with your Father through life, and He holds your hand, and you hold His, and even when you're feeling a little lame and you let go, He doesn't let go. He holds your hand. But sometimes being filled with the Spirit is when He leans down, and although He's holding you, He picks you up like I get to pick up my girls, and He gets you close, and He whispers, I love you. And you feel that sense of even being closer. There's so many experiences in the New Testament that say that we should expect that, that we should be going at a pace where God could interrupt us and do that, where he can stop us. Sometimes I heard of a friend recently, he just pulled over on the side of the road because he knew God was reminding him he loves him. And he stopped in a safe place and he let God love him. Sometimes we're so busy that we can't be being filled because we've got so much on. Hey, when it comes to our identity, he takes us on a hike. He doesn't want us just knowing we're seated. He wants us being with him. How are you doing at trying to just relax and be with God and let God be with you? 
Second one is not just that he wants us uh, present with him and he wants us to know that he's present with us, but he also wants to keep transforming us. He wants us to become like Jesus. Jesus promised when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. He also said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you everything that I have taught. Speaking to his disciples, that means that when the Holy Spirit's at work in you, he's going to take you to Jesus, and he's going to show you the character and the nature of Jesus, and he's going to coach you to become like a son of God. You're going to be taught to be a daughter of the king. And that is a glorious and sometimes gory journey. Because what he's often doing is not really trying to make your life miserable and say, you terrible sinner, sort yourself out. Most of that journey is God saying, I want to heal you because your chosen projected image has meant you've had to do so many things that you shouldn't have done. And you've so badly longed for things you shouldn't have longed for. And you've taken yourself into places you shouldn't have gone. And people, because of their chosen projected image, have done things that they shouldn't have done to you. And you need healing so that you can once again enjoy the fact that you're a child of mine. Right at the end of the passage, they said to Peter, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent is not stop being naughty. Repent is change your mind. You are not primarily a career person. You are not primarily made for marriage or primarily made to be a mom or a dad. You are primarily made to be a child. You are primarily meant to live in fellowship with your Father in heaven who loves you. And that's what's meant to drive why you do what you do and why you don't do some of the things you want to do. Because you are His. And the journey of becoming like Jesus is not so much about trying to live a neat little picket-fenced life that doesn't get your nose dirty. It's about living on an adventure where you find out and discover that you were made for a wild adventure with your Father. And you're meant to live in a glory that goes beyond your silly little identity that you're a surfer who needs waves all the time. Or you're a mountain biker who needs adventure. When you don't realize that on the other side of that is a king who has an adventure beyond what you could imagine. You're made for the nations. You're meant to be going to other parts of the world, helping people to find and follow Jesus. You're meant to be living and loving people and giving confidence to the broken and the needy because you have been given confidence and love because your father is mad about you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has reminded you that you are loved by a father in heaven. That's what it means to be uh, uh, being formed. We've got to kind of kill this silly notion that becoming like Jesus is trying to be like 1990s Christians who just do the right things. It, 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 just don't watch the wrong things and do watch the right things. That stuff's important. We've got to stop sinning. We live in a very complex world. We've got to deal with all our temptations. It's hectic. But we've got to know who we are so that we can live with confidence and trust God's word and live out this beautiful journey. Maybe on this thing of identity, one quick story. I was reading about a husband who had some massive anger issues. And God starts revealing to him that that's incompatible with being a son of God. But he's been this angry husband, angry dad for a very long time. And basically what's happened is he's grown an identity around it. His wife has developed an identity around it, and his kids have too. So over a year or two, he starts to change 
With the help of the Holy Spirit, he becomes a loving and gracious husband and dad. And he starts to feel the freedom of what it means to be this. But here's what's interesting. The wife and the kids spin out. They don't know what to do with themselves. Because they are not used to having no excuse for their identities as victims or as a kind of people who've got an excuse for the fact that they are addicts. And suddenly dad's getting all kind and loving and they don't have an excuse for the fact that they found an identity in a messed up dad. It's fascinating. I don't know what identity maybe you've held onto that now has maybe been taken away, but you, you still keep clinging to it. Maybe you've become married to your own identity of, I'm the cynical one. That's just who I am. I'm the cheeky one. I'll always back the system. I'm the grumpy one. Everyone knows that. I'm the victim. I am the victim. You know what's happened to me. Now in the kingdom, you're not the victim. And that's scary for many of us. You're only the object of radical, everlasting love. And if you keep playing the victim, you're going to miss out on the adventure. This journey by the Spirit walks us out of these identities into freedom. What have your identities been? Maybe you're still holding on to, I'm the winner. I never lost in high school. I always win. But now you feel like maybe you're losing, but you hold on to it. Maybe you, you keep losing and you, you feel like you're the loser, the fighter, the coward, the theologian, the theological policeman, the, the person who's black and white, no half measures, I only do things wholeheartedly. And you develop an identity around that, and sometimes life is more complicated than that. But you don't want to let go. I wonder if today even would be your ability to just your opportunity to let go and to trust that maybe the person God wants you to be has a better identity than the things you've held on to. Third one is this, is that he calls us onto mission. We don't just learn to be with Jesus through Pentecost. We don't just learn to become like Jesus because of the identity we've got. We actually learn to love the world like Jesus loves the world. We learn to love the world like Jesus loves the world. Think of uh, verse 8 of chapter 1 that we read. It says, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I've found myself, just as I'm reading this, and I didn't, this is in my notes, just aware of how the church's mission can shrivel, can shrink. Look at Jesus' language. Jerusalem, that, that's, like, that, that, that's the city they're in. That's the Cape Town. And Judea and Samaria, those are the, the neighboring parts of, of, that's kind of, okay, let's get to Worcester, let's go to Stellenbosch, let, let's get out, let's get up to PE, and then to the ends of the earth. I don't know about you, but maybe my faith has shrunk a little. Maybe I've just been thinking about how I can get this church going well. Maybe I've just been thinking about how I can only maybe get my neighbors to find and follow Jesus. Praise God that I want that. But what about the fact that you and I are on a global mission? What about the fact that we've got brothers and sisters that we planted churches in Madagascar who are in the trenches and you think you've got it tough, you come join me on a trip there. 
or in Mozambique or wherever it may be, that you and I have coursing through our veins as our identity a love for the nations of the world, to care for them, to help them to find and follow Jesus, to plant churches as outposts of eternity, to bring the kingdom to this earth through local bodies of people who love and commit themselves to Jesus, and you and I are made for that. Maybe you're arriving here for the first time today. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus today, and you know that maybe it's coming soon. Can I tell you that your life in the future involves getting on airplanes, getting in buses and taxis and eating food you don't like and loving people who don't speak the same language as you because Jesus loves them. And maybe our world has shriveled, but by the help of the Holy Spirit, he can grow our world again beyond our little picket-fenced, well-manicured gardens and call us into so much more. Let's draw a line in the sand today. We're going to pray in a moment, and we're going to ask God to minister to us, and we're going to be the kind of people who are going to pray for each other and be prayed for and just worship God and invite the Holy Spirit, but it's because we have been helped by the Holy Spirit. I hope your world is just expanding even as you listen. I hope you feel that sense that you weren't just made for, 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 for this little tidal pool in which we live, that the life of the big ocean of the age to come is filtering in, that you're seeing what lies ahead, that actually you're starting to see that you and I were made to go to the nations, to be part of a mission that's glorious, and to see the kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. They were witnesses. They were witnesses of what they'd seen. See that? You will be my witnesses. I think some of the problem for us is that we haven't seen anything. Maybe because of presence and formation, we haven't actually got anything to say. I, I hope that's not true. But, but, but we're called to be witnesses. A witness in a court case is simply this, a person who they say, what did you see on that day? And the witness goes, well, I saw this person doing that and that, and I saw it. You talk to me about surfing, and you will see my eyes start to sparkle. You talk to me about God and transformation. I hope you see my eyes sparkle as much as when I talk about surfing. Because I've got adventures to talk about. I've got things to say about what God's doing here, what he's doing here, what he's doing out there. But witnesses are people who've seen something and their eyes sparkle. The hiker on the mountain goes, if you go around that corner, not only are you going to have your feet frozen because you've got to cross this river, you are going to see a view that you have never imagined in your life. That's a person who's walking with God, who knows God, doesn't just know about him. I'm inviting you, I'm calling you, I'm hoping that you will be a person who knows God. Because when that happens, you have something to share. I found in this season, I've got lots to witness about. And it's been fairly effective in sharing my faith with people. One of the things I've been able to witness is the peace that God's given me in a very anxious season. I've watched people with more mental health struggles than ever before, and I don't judge them because I know how tough this lonely and difficult season has been. But here's the thing. I get to witness of the fact that I feel like in many ways I should have had three or four mental breakdowns in the last 16 months. 
But Jesus, by his grace, promised me that he would keep taking me to green pastures. He would lead me beside still waters. And I honestly tell people, I say, you know what? I don't know how I would have made it, but God has been very kind. Like a shepherd, he talks about himself. He just keeps taking me to places where I can find strength. He keeps helping me when I'm uh, just clear me off the edge of the cliff and take me to some really still waters. I just feel like each time I'm with God, he, he takes me into his goodness. It's witnessing. It's, it's helping people to see that there is a story to be told. Also certainty. How much uncertainty. I find myself going, I've never been so uncertain about the future, and I've never felt so able to trust in the fact that God really is a certain and loving God. I hope you can share that. I hope you've got some of your own stories. What about community in a lonely, isolating season? People have gone, how have you felt through all these lockdown things? I go, well, I, I've got a meeting in the middle of the week with my life group. And then on, on Sundays, I gather with this amazing crew of people, the wider community, and, and we get to share our lives again. My, my life group, we talk about all kinds of stuff in our lives, and we get to listen to each other and hopefully care for each other there. So I feel quite connected. Oh, and then I've got this team called the, our leadership team, and we meet every week or two, and, and we also listen to the challenges of each other's lives. Like, I, I feel pretty loved, actually. Wow, so many people feel unloved, but you feel loved. Yeah, I think it's because God's doing something in this thing called church and community. Oh, and, and, and what, how do you stay joyful? I don't, I don't know, but this thing called identity, I'm watching the world chasing after an identity. They're trying to fight and say, I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that. And, and I've had this ability to sit back in the last while and go, I'm loved. I don't need to fight for any identity. The world can't take what I've got away from me. They can tell me anything about who they are and who I'm not, but I know who I am and I know whose I am. And it's been greatly peaceful when I watch the news and I listen to talk radio and I see what people are saying about themselves and the identities that they are fighting for and pronouncing over their lives. And I go, I've got one that's been pronounced over mine already. And I rest in that. And I don't need to prove it to anyone because he already proved it. He died. He rose again. And then he poured out his spirit on people who follow him so that it's not just an, a kind of theory, it's a reality. And I, and I want that for you. And we're going to pray now, and we're going to have the band, and we're going to sing. And then basically we're going to dismiss you, but actually just going to encourage you to, if you would like prayer, we're going to try our best to create a culture where after church we can just pray for each other. And particular today, we, we don't... Nothing weird necessarily is going to happen. We don't expect any bizarre tongues of fire to come out of the lights necessarily. All we want to do is be the kind of people who remind each other that God is good, that God loves us. And just to not rush into getting our coffee and getting out when so many of us are going, I know about God. I've got my fix of knowing about. We want to be the kind of people who slow down and say, I want to know God. And so when we do dismiss you, some of you may just want to hang out, and we're going to have a whole bunch of us just hanging around to just be around, to just pray with each other, to just encourage each other, to just simply say, God, here we are. It's Pentecost Sunday, and you poured out your spirit 2,000-odd years ago, and you've never stopped doing it. Why don't you keep doing that? And by and large, God typically just pours out a gentle sense of his love, his kindness, and his mercy on our lives. So I wonder if the band could come up. We're going to sing together, and then um, I'll dismiss us in a, in a moment. So, Father, thank you. Why don't we stand? Father, thank you for your outpoured spirit. Thank you that in your amazing love, 
you give us your Holy Spirit, which takes us from living on the mountain to hiking on the mountain, which takes us from knowing about you to knowing you. I pray for us today, God, that in your love you would cause us to get the beauty of what it means to be in your presence, the beauty of what it means to be changed and formed into your image, to deal with the sins and the addictions and the uh, just wrong identities that we don't want to let go of, that you would start to shape that in us, and that you would send us out on mission that we'd be servants of the world, that we'd be those who bring grace and bear suffering for others because you bore the ultimate suffering, because you brought the ultimate grace. We want to do what you did and represent your love in the way that you call us to. Even as we sing this song, I pray that you would stir up fresh hungers in our hearts, fresh sense of refreshing, that the, the big ocean would wash over into our tidal pool, that the fresh life that comes from that massive ecosystem of the age to come would splash into our lives, into our age, by your grace and in your mercy. Some of us are starting this thing right now. You're going, I need that. I need that adventure. I need that life. You simply do what Peter said in that passage. Repent. Change your mind. Stop running from Jesus. Remind Jesus and tell Jesus that you, you don't have it all together and that you've got a whole bunch of sin in your life that you need his help with. Ask him for, your, for his help. Ask him for his forgiveness. Invite his love over your life. And say to him, Jesus, I'm here for you because you've been there for me. Today I choose to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to live on the adventure of knowing you. Say, Jesus, let's go hiking. Let's go to the ends of the earth. As I pray, some of you had a love for the nations. You thought God was going to send you to the other ends of the earth. For the last while, you've been more interested in your backyard. Some of you forgot that Jesus is changing you. He doesn't want to change everyone else around you. He wants to change you. Won't you let him do that? Won't you invite him to change you today? Let's sing together.